0: Just a little review, we see at the end of Acts chapter 12 that um, Paul and Barnabas have returned from delivering uh, the offering uh, to the church at Jerusalem. They're back in Antioch, Syria, and they're uh, having a prayer meeting, they're just getting together, and um, you know, the Holy Spirit tells them, hey, separate Saul and Barnabas and send them out. And it's interesting, you know, the Holy Spirit is the one who, who brought up the idea. And it's the Holy Spirit who sent them. And it wasn't the church that sent them, it was the Holy Spirit that sent them. And you know, and it's interesting, um, you know, the more you look at that, uh, the more you think that, um, you know, missionaries should be sent. It, it shouldn't be, it's a difference between sent and went. If the Holy Spirit sends you out, it's a lot different than you just went out, right? We want to, the things that we do in ministry, and uh, I'm talking, you know, you guys are, um, you know, the, the church, you're, you know, ministry happens through you every day, every day. And you know what? God has sent you out. The Holy Spirit has sent you out. When you When you wake up in the morning and you have your cup of coffee or whatever you do to, you know, become conscious again and realize it's another day. Um, You know, you're, you know, God is looking to you to be a light. God is looking to you to be an ambassador. And that's what I love about the book of Acts because that's what you see. You you see men and women living out their lives. And I know that um, I think every time I've shared on Sunday night, I've opened it up with that mindset. You know, you got to think that way. You know, these folks in the book of Acts, and I hope this doesn't sound um, sacrilegious, but they're just like you and me. People that love the Lord, they, they, they sense that call on their lives, they sense that God is, you know, is, is working in them and through them, and they, they want to live their lives in a way that pleases the Lord. And uh, do you think that Paul and Barnabas woke up that day in Antioch thinking, that this was going to be the first of three missionary journeys, and that they were going to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, to places where they thought that, you know, a Jew would never go, really. But they did. They did. It happened. It happened one day at a time. One day at a time. So I don't know what God has in store for you after tonight, uh, but I would be excited about that. I mean, I'm excited about that. And I hope you guys are, because you know what? It isn't um, like the boss of the company wants to use you. I mean, we're talking about the creator of the universe, God Almighty, wants to use you. So that's exciting. I smile. It's exciting. Right? All right. I want a little participation tonight. Just a little. Not a lot. All right. So here's the deal. This is the first missionary journey, 46 to 48 A.D., uh, Paul and Barnabas travel to Seleucia. They catch a boat to Cyprus. We looked at all this stuff last time we were together. Um, they share the gospel in Salamis, and then they travel through the island of Pappos. And and I, I want I didn't highlight this last time, but I want to highlight it tonight. Where it says they traveled through, you know, it took them almost a year to get from one place to the other. Uh, it seemed like the bus line or the taxi was out of service, right? So they had to walk, you know, and I hope you guys get the picture because I'm going to point it out when we get a little further into this. I mean, these guys walked. So it's close to, it would be like to go from Salamis to Papos would be almost like walking to Syracuse or Buffalo, right? So think about that. Hey, you want to go to Syracuse? Oh yeah, sure. All right, well, let's start walking. You know, think of the level of commitment, the dedication that they had, their relationship with the Lord, where God, you know, God called them out and told them to go, and they went. I mean, it's from even even the ride from um, on the boat ride to Cyprus that was close to sixty miles. I mean, we get in our car, we turn the air conditioning on, we put in our favorite CD, and we go places. You know, and even that sometimes we think that's an inconvenience. Oh, I got to go drop this meal off, or I got. You know, it's these. I'll tell you, some of the things we don't think about. But and and we're going to see once they leave Cyprus, it even gets to be a little more rigorous. And um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about Paul's health. But you know, we saw last time that they dealt with when they got to Paphos that they dealt with Bar Jesus right, the sorcerer, Almaeus, who uh, his, his uh, goal in life was to get in between people and the gospel. That's what he did. And when Sergios Paulos had requested for uh, Paul and um, Barnabas to come and share the word with him, um, Almaeus wanted to get right in there. He wanted to make the way crooked, right? And that's what the enemy wants to do in our life. He wants to get between us and in the lord. He wants to throw a wrench in the works if you will. And you know what guys, we just need to be on top of that. We need to be on top of that. And one of the best ways to be on top of that is to be in the word of God. To be in the word of God, to know what God's word says because you know what God's word is God's will. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, if you want to know what God's will is, you got to get into the book. You know, and you got to commit some of it to memory. You just have to be in it. So important. So um, something, you know, in, in this kind of, when I was thinking about this, Second Timothy gives us some perspective on this first missionary journey, uh, some insight um, from Paul looking back as to what was happening there. So um, let me read this to you. You guys don't have to turn there. Second Timothy 3, uh, verses 10 through 13. It says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, what's happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. And those are places Paul is going to, right? He said, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus Will suffer persecution, but evil men and imposters will go worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, a little sight into what's happening today with, you know, all of the deception. But what I wanted to point out is that what Paul said—that, you know, the persecutions he endured—and out of them all, the Lord delivered him. Paul's looking back now at what we're looking at, and he's saying, "Hey, it wasn't easy." But guess what? The Lord delivered me from all of that. He was there through it all. And um, I don't know uh, what you guys are facing or what you're up to, what's going on in your life. But you know what? God is it's still the same. It's the same thing. It's God. It's, he hasn't changed. And you know what? He's He's there. He's going to deliver you. He's going to be there with you. He's going to pour his grace into your life. Whatever it do is, is, don't, don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of that. Now, Paul is... Um, is a prisoner at this point when he's writing Timothy. But you know what? His his mindset is still the same. He's, he's saying this to Timothy, but at the same time, he's preaching to himself. Hey, you know what? The Lord delivered me out of all of that, and he's going to deliver me out of this. And for Paul, it was either deliverance, like physically getting out of jail or going home to be with the Lord. And we know what he said about that, that it was more beneficial for him to stay. But I think in his mind, he said, I'd rather be with the Lord, which is, uh, which is, I would think we'd all would agree with that. So let's pick it up in verse 12. All right. Verse 12. Let me make sure I wrote verse 12 down in here. All right. So the pro council believed uh, that when, uh, what he had saw, so let me read verse 12. I had to go up a little ways. You can tell I'm very proficient with my iPad. Can you guys tell that? I'm very proficient with this technical stuff. So it says in verse 12, Then the proconsul believed that Sergius Paulos, when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So Barnabas and Paul come at his request, um Almaeus gets in the way, tries to get in the way, you know, and Paul rebukes him. Tells him, hey, you know, <laughs> you know calls him a few choice names, and then he tells him that um, you're going to lose your sight for a time, right? And that's what happens. And it's amazing that, that being astonished, it says at the end of the verse, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord, He believed at what he heard, right, not what he saw. It was the word of God that brought about his faith. It was the word of God. And we would think, oh, man, you know, he he just saw this miracle. He saw Paul take a stand and just say, you know, that the Lord, you know, is going to take away your sight for a while. And then he saw it happen. I mean, he saw the power of the word, but it was the word of God. It was the preaching of the gospel that astonished him. And think about it. Here's a man, and, and you know, history does tell us that he was going to go on to Rome, Sergios Paulos, and being involved with this big project that had to do with, uh, I think, the Tigris River. And, um, you know, he was a pretty influential guy in Rome. And, um, you, you know, you wonder if he looked up Paul when Paul ended up going to Rome. But this guy's a smart guy. And, um. You know, he hears the word of God, and that's, that's what he put his faith in. He put his faith in the word of God. I'm sure what he saw happen to Almaeus was, um, was incredible, too, but it was the word of God. And, guys, I just want to emphasize that. You know, it's the word of God. It's the word of God. You know, and that's why, man, I, I could sound like a broken record. I should just have a little tape recorder here, and whenever I get to that part, hit it, and they'll say, be in the word of God. Read the word of God. Click. Be, you know, but you guys know that. You guys know that. But it's so important. It's so important to understand that, you know, what changed this guy was the word. In Romans ten seventeen, it says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I'm so thankful for um, Calvary Chapel and, you know, just their line upon line. And there's, um, there's a lot of churches out there that are preaching the word of God. Um, So important, and think of Sergius Paulus. Here, you know, here he's just amazed. In the New King James, it says astonished. He's astonished. He's amazed that Jesus would die for him. He's amazed at the reality and the truth of the gospel. And I think if you guys think that through a little bit, um, when you got saved, I don't know. I felt this way. I was kind of shocked. That God would do that for me. That Jesus would take my place on the cross. That he would still love me in spite of me. And who who I was. And, you know, I mean, you guys can relate. But think how amazed this guy is. He hears about, man, there is these guys that came over from Antioch, Syria, they're walking across the island, and they're sharing the gospel, and people are getting saved. And, and I mean, it's just amazing. you got to hear what these guys got to say, and he has them come in, and he gets saved. Wow. Pretty cool, right? I mean, that's, it's a, you know, it's just life. It's the Christian life. It's the Christian life. And we should have this expectation. We should have this same desire that, hey, no matter whoever we talk to, when we share the word of God, that we're going to expect results, right? We're going we're gonna, to, God said it, God told us what to say, what to do. We're just going to share the word, and you know what, Lord? You, you're responding. <laughs> the outcome is up to you, Lord, not up to us. So don't let that hinder you, because that's sometimes what happens, right? They'll never believe it. They're not going to listen to what I got to say. They're nah, you know, they're going to just blow me off. Don't go there. Don't go there. Let God handle that part of it. So the gospel, and you know, guys, never, um, I put this in red, don't get so accustomed to the hearing, or the hearing, the, you know, the accounts of the cross, the gospel, don't ever be indifferent to that. You know, there's, there should always be an excitement about the gospel. And I just want to read uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17, and um, you guys know it, but it's, it's really just an amazing definition of what the gospel is. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And why is he not ashamed? Because it's the power of God, the salvation, for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the question is, are you guys still amazed? Are you guys still astonished? at what you see God doing in your life. You know, and maybe it's a personal thing. Maybe God is walking you through something. But even that's exciting. Even the difficult times sometimes when you when you you know, you're seeing a little bit of daylight and you get excited about that because you're sensing God's presence, you know, you're seeing things that God has done to get you to that point and your whole outlook is just like, wow. God, you are so faithful. You know, Gina sang that song, you know, I, I just want to see your glory, you know, and, and we see his glory every day. Soon, when you look in the mirror, oh, that's a is, <laughs> when I look in the mirror, I see God's glory. You do, because God, you know, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? Come on, man, and it's, the Lord is in you, man, and he wants to, just wants to use you, like he's using Paul and Barnabas. Um, you know, question, are we convinced enough to realize that if people die without Christ, they're going to end up in hell? I mean, that's a harsh reality, right? But it's the truth. Do we, do we believe that? So I'm going to share something that um, Carl Kirby shared with us once. You Guys, remember Carl, the big guy, Answers in Genesis guy? Um, he, um, he read this quote um, by Penn Gillette. I didn't know who Penn Jillette was until I heard Carl talk about him. But he's a, he's a magician in Las Vegas. So I don't know what he makes disappear or whatever. But he's, um, he's a huge, huge uh, anti-God, anti-Christ. You know, I mean, he's, he's horrible when it comes to that. This is something, and this relates to sharing the gospel. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell and not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, an atheist who think people shouldn't Uh, proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. And here's like the, the clinching line. How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. So he's saying that not sharing the gospel, when you know the truth and you don't want to tell somebody that truth, how much do you have to hate that person not to do that? Um, Now, I just threw that in to make you feel better, right? (laughs) You know, I'm just saying that to encourage you guys. You know, really, when you think about it, hell is a real place. And when people die without Christ, Pastor Rob talked about, it's been talked, Hades. People, I mean, whatever you call the place, they end up. You know what the tragedy is? They're eternally separated from God. Eternally separated from God. You know, it's a horrible thing. It's a, could you? I mean, we can't even think that way. I mean, I mean, we. I mean, I. I could try to relate to that, but I can't think about that because I. You know, now I, I. just know I never can be separated from God. So, you know, and, and it's things like this. I really believe that um, motivated. You know, Paul and Barnabas that motivated the early church. Um, you know, because th- this is. I mean, this is what they've been waiting for. The Jewish nation, the Jewish people, have been waiting for this to happen and Christ shows up. And guess what, man? They're like, they're like full bore. They're excited about that reality. So verse 13, it says, now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. So now um, Paul takes the lead. Now it's Paul and his party. It used to be Barnabas and Paul. Now it's Paul and Barnabas. And, um, you know, you can see um, when Paul dealt with Almaeus, he kind of took the lead, kind of put him in a spot, kind of took control of the situation. And, um, you know, I think, I think, this is me thinking, it's not thus says the Lord. But I think going into um, this ministry out on the mission field, things are going to get tough. And I think Paul was the guy that was a little more tenacious than Barnabas. You know, Barnabas was that. You know, the son of encouragement. Paul was like, you know, the lion. You let him out of the cage, you know, and he's just going to go at it. So I I think Paul, you know, that's part of the reason why, but, you know, that's just me. Um, But I appreciate Barnabas' character. It didn't make a difference to him who was in charge as long as he was able to do what God called him to do. And it's so important in the church today that we understand that. You know, some of us do, we all have a different function in the body, you know, I might be a toe, and John, you might be an ear, and Pastor Rob, you might be a, a lip. Could you, if you were a part of the body, would you have to be both lips or just one lip? All right. That was dumb. Very dumb, Dave. Anyway, so, you know, there's a lot of speculation by, you know, why uh, Mark left, John Mark, why he left those guys. So I'm not going to speculate about it. Um, there's plenty of information out there. You can, um, you know, read through it and, and kind of figure out what you like out of the options. But he left, and it really doesn't tell us why he left. So we'll we'll just leave it at that. So now God is going to open a door, and, um, you know, Paul and Barnabas are going to step right through it. Verses 14 and 15, it says, but when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch, Poseidon. and." Let's stop there just for a second, because I, I want to um, bring home another one of those thoughts. Paul, there's, the thought is that Paul gets sick here in Perga, whether it's malaria or something, but at, they're right at sea level. And now for them to go up to Antioch, they're going from sea level to 3,600 feet above sea level and it's like 150 miles, and it's just the two of them. So there are some commentators that believe that um, they hooked up with, like, a caravan. I mean, because rob there are robbers, and, you know, there are some, I mean, it wasn't, um, it, it, you know, it wasn't like going on a mission field today. You know, you, I went to, on a mission trip to Italy, you know, and, you know, we got rides to wherever we were going. And If it rained, we didn't go out in the rain to do anything. We just prayed and stayed inside. I mean, think about walking 150 miles or so uphill. I mean, think of, I mean, and Paul now is sick. And I hope you see the level of commitment that these men and women had. I mean, sometimes when I get up on Sunday morning, I don't want to come to church because I'm tired or it's snowing outside or it's, I mean, you guys, you understand what I'm saying, right? I mean, the, I mean, what, a, what an example Paul and Barnabas are to us. So they come to Antioch, Poseidon. They went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after reading the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Uh, boy, that's, um, they're going to regret it. That they asked them to speak, but man, God just sets them up. God just sets them up, He sets them up, and um, you know it's interesting I, I so you have to kind of think of the way that um, the way that these served, the the synagogue operated you know they you would go in. The first thing that would be recited was the Shema, which Deuteronomy 6, 4. And then there were some prayers said with that. Then there was a reading of the law, and then the reading of the prophets that illustrated the law. And then there is this message. So there, um, then there's a guy that's, well, so the, the head of the synagogue, he kind of sets this up. But here is, you know, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas is a Levite and Paul is, he's part of, he was part of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. So, I mean, this is like, wow, we not only have one good speaker to share, we got two. And, you know, they're looking at these two guys like, wow, you know, that's Paul. You know, he was a Pharisee, the Sanhedrin. Yeah, but what about some of this other stuff he's talking about? No, 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 man, this guy's, you know, I mean, it was like a privilege to have him there. And I really believe that that's the way they looked at him. And it, it's exciting. And Paul, you know, he's, um, he's just going to give them the gospel. Uh, Pastor Rob was talking about sometimes giving them the bad news. Well, Paul's going to give them the good news first. And then it, it seems like when they don't want to hear the good news, then he's going to give them, well, I'm sorry, but you're going to get the bad news now. But, his, he, you know, Paul had a heart of love for the lost. And um, I, I hope that you guys have that same love resonating in you when you see people and interact with people that are lost. You know, and Paul, um, he just walked. He just walked 150 miles uphill, and you know, it, it isn't like it happened in a day. So, I mean, think about it. He, I mean, this what he went through to get there, and why? Because God called him. God. You know, God sent him. The Holy Spirit sent him. Man, you know, that, that's got to mean something to us. It's got to mean something to us when God puts something in your heart to do. You got to do it. You got to be obedient to that. Paul and Barnabas, I don't know who they walked with. I don't know how long it took them to get there. But they walked uphill 150-some miles to have this opportunity and Paul's not—he's not going not to let it slip away either. So, this is um, his first recorded sermon. Paul's first recorded sermon—it's his longest, but it kind of sets the stage because when he gets to um, Iconium, Lystra, um, he, there isn't really—it isn't really recorded everything that he says. are shorter messages, but this is the longest, and it kind of gives you an idea of some of the things that he might have shared, maybe that aren't recorded. But it's interesting to uh, to see that. So think about this. Stephen, Paul was there when Stephen was stoned, right? Okay, so Stephen is, you know, he's being stoned. And he's, you know, he's getting ready to just give up his spirit. And he looks over and he sees Saul of Tarsus, holding the garments of these guys, throwing stones at him. And in his mind thinks, man, I must have failed. They're not, you know, they're not, they didn't receive the message. You know, think about that. You know, leaving this planet thinking that, you know, all that he went through and that they didn't listen. They didn't hear what what he had to say. And, um, you know, he didn't fail, though, Right. We know he didn't fail, because look what happened. What, now Saul is Paul, and he's on this missionary journey, and God is using him in, in miraculous ways. You know, the word of God will not return void. Isaiah fifty five eleven. You know, Stephen's words rattled around in Paul's mind, and 14 years later, Paul is going to give not word for word, but a, a replay of Stephen's first, his last message, his first and last. There's a lot of um, a lot of similarities to that. But what I wanted to encourage you about that was that um, you know don't think that what you're doing is not is not bringing forth fruit. You know, sharing the gospel with your friends, your coworkers. You know, getting mocked out. I mean, when I worked for the county, I would go into the break room with my Bible, and it would take them like five minutes to be done scorching me, you know, and just, you know, oh, you know, what are you going to read today, you know? But, you know, when they were hurting or they had issues at home, they wouldn't say anything in the break room, but they would pull me aside, right? So, you know, the word doesn't go out of it. void. So, you know, I would share stuff with them even in the break room, and and we've all been there, and, you know, I, I used to, I'd used leave work some days thinking, man, these guys, I'm more sport for them than anything. And I would be discouraged. But you know what? A couple guys ended up getting saved. You know, God knows what's going on. You know, and Stephen, even though he might have felt like he failed, he didn't. He didn't. Because the guy who wrote most of the New Testament was touched. And God finally got through to him. Because he couldn't get what Stephen said out of his mind. And that's what happens when we share the gospel. You know, we think we're, you know, we're, that somehow we have to um, um, we have to rate how we did in our own mind. Oh, I should have said this. Or, oh, man, I didn't say that. You know, you said what the Lord put on your heart. That's good enough. And his word is not going to go out void. And I like the second half of that because it says that, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. You know, God is going to use what you say. So don't ever feel like that, you know, you're putting yourself out there and it's not worth it because that's the enemy. You know what? Just let it rip. If you feel God's putting it on your heart, then share it. And share it. And then pray. Right? Walk away praying. You know, so don't, don't feel that way. Don't feel that way. So let's, um, yeah. Yeah, we got a little time here. All right, let's look at Paul's message, a sermon, and I kind of broke it into three parts like an outline of the Old Testament, um, you know, then God's provision, right? And his, what's God's provision? Jesus Christ, right? And then an invitation. So there are some similarities in what Paul's going to be saying and what Stephen said. Um, Both sermons emphasize God's raising up leaders for Israel, but a a complementary difference would be Stephen pointed to Israel's rejection of its God-sent leaders. Excuse me, why Paul stressed God's grace in providing the leaders. So it's an interesting comparison. So let's read verses 16 through 25. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hands, said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm he brought them out of it. Now, for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all people of Israel, and as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. And it's, it's interesting that Paul would quote John the Baptist. It's almost like, was he there? think about it, when John the Baptist, when the the scribes and the Pharisees came out, and, you know, John kind of called them out and said, hey, you know, why are you guys out here, in a sense, right? I mean, who who warned you about what was going on, right? And then he tells them, he quotes this, the same part of this, what Paul is saying. It's almost like a direct quote. And, you know, you can almost wonder, was Paul there? Was he one of those Pharisees? Was he... You know, was he out there checking out what's this John the Baptist all about? Who knows? Unless he heard from somebody else to be able to quote him like that. Just a a thought. So I I like verse 18. It says, for 40 years God put up with the ways of the people of Israel in the wilderness. And do you ever feel that way? Like God put up with us? Put up with me, God? You put up with me all this time, you know? But, you know, that's really not the way it reads. Um, So I'm going to get technical just for a couple seconds, all right? So that word put up with, while it means just that, put up with, you know, just the words put up with, is derived from a word that may suggest a more positive note, namely taking care of somebody's needs. Um, This the Lord certainly did for Israel in spite of all of their complaining. Right, Israel. I mean, if one thing that they could do, they were, I mean, they were Olympic type complainers. I mean, they would have gotten a gold medal if they had an Olympic sport for complaining, because they complained an awful lot. So also, and I'm not, um, I'm not going to try to pronounce this Greek word, but I'll tell you Strong's. It's Strong's number fifty one fifty nine. You could look it up, and you can try to pronounce it, but I'm not going to do that. And this, word, this Greek word occurs only in this, this verse, in the New Testament, and it means to bear with. So other manuscripts read, care for, or literally, carry them as a nurse. The two Greek words differ in only one letter, so there's a double P in one word and a single P in the other. <laughs> one meaning nourished, and the other meaning bore with. So it's pretty cool. You can see how this is this bear with or put up with really is a good thing, right? It doesn't. It you know it sounds like oh man he put up with me, but it's really not that. It, it's that through that God was nourishing them, God was taking care of them, God was upholding them. Um, Nourished is probably a quote from the Septuagint, so and that's a, it comes from Deuteronomy one thirty one, but. Um, With all of that, Paul, in his sermon to the Jews at Antioch, was emphasizing God's great care for Israel in the wilderness. You know, he's highlighting God's care for them. You know, it it isn't, you know, that first glance to put up with. And so the next time you think that God is just putting up with you, think about this, because he's not putting up with you, he's nourishing you. He's encouraging you. He's bearing with you. You know, God only wants our best. God only wants our best. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I mean, he'll let us go through some uncomfortable situations, sometimes brought on our own or just some things he allows. But remember, God always has good in mind for us, always. He's always cultivating character in us. He's, believe me, I know that sometimes life can throw you a curveball, but God is in it. God is in it. and He'll teach you how to hit a curveball, right? Teach you how to hit a fastball. You know, God will teach you and give you what you need. There's nothing that we we ever encounter in our lives that God, if if we can't handle it, he's not going to let it happen. You know, God is, I mean, God is he's awesome, his character. I mean, we can trust every word that he says to us. Um, he talks about when he had destroyed the seven nations in the land, the Canaan, that's Deuteronomy, you can see that in Deuteronomy 7, the beginning of the chapter. Um, A little reference to the 450 years um, that covered this time of Israel. um, 400 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, and about 10 years with the judges that bring it about to that 450 years. And, you know, I want want to close with this. And um, I was telling Pastor Kevin had a hard time getting past that, David being a man after my own heart. And I want to talk a little bit about that. And it will be pretty quick. Not that we'll rush through it, but it's just so powerful. And, man, it's amazing. Let's, so I'll read verse 22 again. It says, when he had removed him, that's he removed Saul, and raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Boy, and that seems kind of weird, doesn't it? I mean, we know David's life, right? We know David's life. So, I'm, you know, I'm going to just give you some of the things that I think God put on my heart that encouraged me. And I'm hoping that it'll encourage you, too. First Samuel 13, verses 13 and 14 said, And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would be established in your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept the word, um, you have not kept what the Lord had commanded you. So what is the Lord saying? That instead of Saul, God is going to choose one whose heart is like his own. He's going to choose a man whose heart is like his own. One who had a will to obey God. You know, think about let this kind of like marinate a little bit as I'm saying this, because you know what? You know, we, we have a heart towards God, right? We, I mean, this, this could be speaking of us, right? When you think about it. First Samuel sixteen seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, hey, don't look at his appearance or his physical stature because I've refused him. Talking about David's oldest, oldest brother, right? The first one to come through. Um, For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So when God looked at David, he saw a man after his own heart. But David wasn't perfect. Hmm. You know, keep letting it ruminate a little bit, all right? So, um... That whole concept of heart embodies the emotions, the will, the intellect, our desire. Um, the life of the man will reflect his heart. Okay, Matthew twelve thirty four through thirty five says, "Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things." And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word man may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, or by your words you will be condemned. What's in our hearts? So important. Proverbs 21, verses 1 and 2. The king's heart is at the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water. He turns it. Um, Wherever he wishes, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. You know, the word of God, when when it's in our heart, you know, we could trust our heart then. Same thing with our conscience. If our conscience is um, saturated in God's word, you could trust it. You can trust it. God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. So David, what I liked about David, and I think that kind of makes him qualify for this and qualifies us, I think, as well, is that David was real. David was 100% real with the Lord. When he sinned, he didn't try to, I mean, he sinned, he sinned. He, I mean, he just fessed up with what he did. Um, he, he, just, he was just so honest and so transparent before God. I mean he you know when God when 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 he committed the adultery with Bathsheba and you know that whole scenario I mean David acknowledged it all he didn't try to make any excuses I mean he just wanted his heart to be right before the Lord and there's a difference that we can see um in David and Solomon okay one thing that David never did okay and I think this is Part of the reason why he was a man after God's own heart is he never strayed into idolatry. He never served other gods. And listen to what it says in 1 Kings 11 verses 1 through 6. It says, But Solomon loved the many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidians and the Hittites, from the nation of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700, well, it's hard to believe, 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Asheroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Malcolm, the abomination of the Amorites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. David never strayed. I mean, I, he sinned obviously, but he never, he never, he never strayed as far as idol worship or idolatry. So important, a man after God's own heart. You know, and I think that's really what made the difference in his life. I mean, he wasn't perfect, but you know what, man, when. when When he knew he did something wrong, I mean, he was, like, totally transparent with the Lord. And, you know, not everybody needs to know your business and the things that we struggle with, right? But, you know, we need to have, um, you know, we need to have that open relationship with God. You know, that personal, intimate, intimate, that closeness to God. And I know this is going to sound weird, but, you know, we, we need to be able to tell God, Everything and anything going on in our lives, and I, I know this is even going to sound weirder. Sometimes we think we could keep things from Him, but we can't. David didn't do any of that. David just—I blew it. I blew it. You know, Lord, I blew it. I mean, Kevin, what? I'm going to put Kevin on the spot, Pastor Kevin. Remember, we were talking about this this morning. What did you you made a comment about David being a better psalmist? How did that go? Uh, Do you hear that? After David fell, he didn't become a better king, he became a better psalmist. And I want to, um, I want to close with reading, um, this is a little excerpt out of The Making of a Man of God by Ellen Redpath. And the, whole, the book is about David's life from start to finish. So, and we'll close with this. Um, let's, okay. God's call to any man and the anointing of the Spirit for service are conditioned upon that man's heart response. What kind of heart um, did David have? We see his heart in the opening of um, this greatest psalm, or his greatest psalm, Psalm 23. So, Psalm 23:1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David had a believing heart, he knew his own sinfulness and his need of the grace and the guidance of God to watch over him, even as he protected the sheep in his charge. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, casting himself upon God and believing faith. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. David's life was marked by quietness. He knew the joy of communion with the Lord, he had a meditative heart, a meditative, meditating on the word of God. Verse three, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. We know that David wasn't perfect, but we know that David's heart was set on holiness, and he longed for that attribute of God in his life above all else. Verse four, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. In the face of the worst enemy that could ever face him, David was confident, as he demonstrated later in his encounter with Goliath. He was brave, bold, and courageous. And that, that wasn't something that he uh, ginned up on his own. That was He did that in the power of God working in him, his confidence in knowing that God was going to deliver this uncircumcised Philistine because you know, he was defying God. David just took a step of faith and leveled that guy, man. It's a good story. All right, verse 5. Thou prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runneth over. David had a heart full of gratitude to the Lord for meeting his needs, for supplying him um, in things both spiritual and material, even with the devil looking on. You know, it's amazing. It's just amazing that, to have an attitude of gratitude. I mean, when you, just, when you get home tonight, just sit for a few minutes and think of all that the Lord has done to get you to where you are today. I mean, I know some of it's been, <laughs> it's the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? We've been, th- we've been through some stuff. But God has been faithful, just like Paul had mentioned in Timothy. You know, the persecutions, all of it. But the Lord saw me through it. The Lord was with me. You know, he, I'm so glad God doesn't have a vacation plan. He never, you know, never checks out. And he's always there, always. And then verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David was no mere half-hearted, half-hearted follower near to God on some days and on some occasions, but not on others. Listen to what David wrote in Psalm 57, 7. My heart is fixed, oh God, my heart is fixed. And that really spoke to me because, you know, sometimes I, you know, that song, sometimes I feel like a nut, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I feel like I'm real close to the Lord and sometimes I don't. Um, you know, David, um, you know, he was uh, he was just committed, totally. Uh, he didn't have a half-hearted relationship with the Lord. And guys, you know, we need to fight against that. You know, we need to fight against that. You know, we need to be totally committed. So, and then uh, Alan Redpath closes with this little paragraph to play. Such was David's heart, not fickle but believing, meditative, set on holiness and righteousness, brave and courageous, grateful, and fixed upon God. None of these things were David's by natural birth. He himself wrote in Psalm 51 5, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. But there, um, but there had been a day when God met David and had renewed his heart, so that the goodness of heart which was his qualification for the anointing of the Holy Spirit for power in God's service came from God himself. The the only qualification for heaven that any of us can ever have is such evidence of God's grace in our lives. It's pretty powerful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And God, we do thank you for um, these examples that you've given us. And, you know, just looking at um, Paul and Barnabas. And, um, you know, as we go on, um, you know, into Acts, we're gonna, um, hear people's names mentioned just maybe one or two times or just once. And, um, you know, all of the unspoken folks in the church that, um, you used in, in mighty ways, God. Um, we're so thankful that you recorded it for us, uh, Lord, all that they went through to, uh, to get the gospel out. All of it, I pray, challenges us to, um, uh, just to be more valuable, Lord. I mean, there's, Lord, we know you're, you're not condemning us when you prick our hearts and, you know, encourage us to take a, an additional step of faith or whatever. And I pray like David. He had the faith to step out and face a giant. And he did it because he knew you were faithful. And sometimes the things that we deal with in life seem like um, giants. But God, um, you know that there really no threat to us when, um, when we walk in the light that you provide. When we walk in uh, the power of the Holy Spirit as you fill us, Lord. So um, challenge us, Lord. Challenge us, Lord. As we uh, as we look to you, we thank you for David and his example, Lord. And and um, Lord, we thank you so much for uh, what we're going to see next month as we continue on in this chapter. Uh, just um, just an amazing challenge to the, the Jewish community and to the Gentiles. And, Lord, we're going to see your hand move in just uh, miraculous ways as uh, people just commit their lives to you. So we thank you for that. Uh, we pray, God, for traveling mercies for the way home. And, Lord, uh, should you tarry, we just pray for an awesome day in you tomorrow. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.